That's great. I hope you've, um, you've had a good morning so far, meeting with Jesus, letting him speak to you, speak to us, engaging in his presence. And we're going to continue this morning in our series in the book of Matthew. And it's a bit of a change because for the first time in a long time, I have a clicker. Whoa. Which means I, I can click things, I guess. <clears throat> so it's not quite like having a clicker if you want to click things. So I'll be looking for things to click as we, uh, as we carry on this morning. Anyway, this is week six out of eight sessions that we're focusing on the Sermon on the Mount. And to be honest, we probably could have spent eight or ten weeks on the first part of chapter five. It is such a rich passage of Scripture, full of meaning, full of stories, full of truth, full of challenge. And I don't know about you, but I love the different ways in which Jesus chooses to make the points that he wants to make. And none, in a, such a um, concentrated few chapters of, of the book of Matthew, we have literally lots of examples in the way Jesus does this. Sometimes he links a story to the day-to-day -day experiences of those listening. So when he talks, for example, about being the salt of the earth, people know what salt was. Sometimes he talks in riddles to see if they're still awake, like picking figs from thorn bushes and things like that. Sometimes revealing spiritual truth for the first time when he said, I have come to fulfill the, the law. What an amazing statement that is, by the way, just in its own right. Sometimes he uses language that is shocking. One point he talks about people who will come to him and said, listen, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We drove out demons in your name. And he said, do you know, I'll be saying to some of those people, depart from me. I did not know you. Sometimes it's a bit confusing. John talked a few weeks back. Um, the whole of the Sermon on the Mount is, is how we should live our lives as his disciples. And the whole of the Sermon on the Mount, he, he has in his eye line on many occasions the Pharisees, the people who were very particular about keeping the Lord, abiding by the rules, but not having their hearts right. And they displayed and presented their, their so-called righteousness. That means how good they were, how brilliant they were, how important they were, how pure they thought they were to other people. And Jesus was really just critical, searingly critical of that behavior. And yet, on the other hand, he said at one point, but your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees. It's a bit confusing. Sometimes he used, a, what I think the technical word is hyperbole. Now, that really means using exaggerated statements that are not meant to be taken literally. So, for example, when Jesus was talking about adultery and uh, and theft, and about if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Or if your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. Now, be honest. When you were a young Christian and you read that for the first time, did anybody think, does he really mean that? Of course he didn't mean it. Okay, It's hyperbole. He's using a phrase, a shock tactic. I mean, let's face it, Jesus wouldn't want a whole kingdom of millions of disciples who were blind and had prosthetic hands, would they? I mean, what good would that be if that was all self-inflicted? 
What he was talking about was the heart attitude, what is going on on the inside, not what we do to ourselves on the outside. And sometimes, like in our passage today, he uses humor to put the point across. I think someone mentioned this, it might have been Mike actually, about later in, in, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus talks about the rich people, rich man coming into the kingdom of God. It would actually be easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Now, he's, he's being humorous, being funny. And today, uh, we're going to be talking about judging others. Now, see if my clicker works. So, I would like to pretend that this slide I wrote and I sourced the Greek font for judging others and the reference. But actually what happened is that on this bit of the slide, there must have been a word or a letter that a keynote or PowerPoint didn't like, so it auto-translated it into this. So that actually says judging others judging others in big type fonts, fonts so that we know exactly what we're dealing with. Anyway, at least they chose whoever they, it, artificial intelligence, chose Greek to translate this slide. Thankfully, all the rest of the slides seem to be in English, which is, uh, which is quite helpful both uh, for you and definitely for me. But it's easy with the Sermon on the Mount to get caught up with the imagery that Jesus uses and not really dig into the heart of what he's saying. So we don't get caught up with, did you really mean cutting off my hand or not? He was talking about what's going on in our hearts, as we just said. And today we're looking at judging others, and boy, what a challenging topic that is for all of us. And it is for me standing here in front of you as well this morning. So we're going to read the first Oh, what's the point of a clicker if it doesn't click? Well, it actually clicks. Are we working? Ta-da! Actually, I think it might just take a while to do it. Yeah, it does. There we go. Oh, clicking is back in order. Here we go. Matthew 7, 1 to 5. Do not judge or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plant, the plant, the plank, out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So I wonder, have you ever thought what Jesus looked like when he was presenting these stories? <clears throat> have you ever wondered what the look on his face was when he was saying these things? How you would picture the way in which he would communicate physically, not just through his words. So here, we could, for example, picture Jesus sat on the mountainside in the guise of a rather stern health um, uh, head teacher. So he's really identifying 
his instruction clearly to a fearful pupil. Don't judge. You mustn't judge. Or do you picture him as having a bit of a glint in his eye? So he actually sees what's going on. He's not exactly teasing people, but he's engaging people at an emotional level, not just an instructional level. So this passage, you kind of think, might be straightforward. And if we wanted just to take the first few verses, it could be quite straightforward. Jesus says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. It's both a clear and a slightly problematic statement. As I said, taken at face value, we could leave it just right there. But we know that that's not the end of the story. Jesus actually clearly, when you read the rest and the rest of the New Testament and other parts of the Gospels, didn't mean it to be the only thing he wants to say about judging. And before you go and find a stone or something to stone me with as a heretic, let me try and demonstrate exactly why I feel that. We make judgments all of the time, don't we? We might call them different things. We might call them choices or discerning things. Where, you know, simply, do you prefer honey or jam for lunch or on your toast with your coffee, if you do that kind of thing for lunch um, or breakfast or a snack in the afternoon? Is it honey or jam? Chips or pasta? Which do you prefer? Chips, 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 chips. What? Chips? Chocolate or strawberry? Ooh. Who thinks they're being healthy because they said strawberry? Just um, Chocolate strawberry. Chocolate ice cream or strawberry ice cream? Yeah. Or how about salted caramel ice cream? Or, or, or strawberry? Ah, right. Now then we're seeing something here. Yeah, exactly. We make judgments all the time about what we like and about what we don't like. There's a book in the Bible called Judges, a whole book ascribed to people who were described as judges in the Old Testament. It's clear that in life we need to exercise judgment, but it's equally clear that we need to judge in the, the right things and in the right way. Judgment is required to maintain law and order, and fair judgment is critical in, in upholding social justice. Is Jesus really saying here that we should cast aside our ability to work out what is right and wrong, and we shouldn't use any critical thinking at all when it comes to moral decisions in our own lives and perhaps reflecting on those in the lives of, of those we love and, and live amongst? Obviously not. That would be equally absurd. Jesus expects us to grow and mature in all aspects uh, of our lives. So what Jesus is teaching us here in his mischievous or mischievous kind of way is, I think this, is how to exercise judgment. And if you're still not convinced, just look uh, a bit further down, actually. It says, verse 2, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. That could be just a continuation of the first bit of, of verse 1. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And at the end it says, first take out the plank of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. 
So there's a clearly an inference within that as we read the first few words as a, as a bold single statement that there's an awful lot behind this, an awful lot in this. It's not just a simple instruction. So I want to just cover five things briefly as we unpack this and actually we are breaking bread, which is fantastic response uh, to what God might be saying to us here. First of all, how not to exercise judgment. Remember the context of the previous chapters in giving, prayer, fasting, when Jesus highlights the proud arrogance of those who are always parading their so-called spirituality before others. Those who are proud, looking down on others, believing that they were superior. It's not the way Jesus wants us to behave. And there's a couple of verses here from uh, James. And James, by the way, is a great book to read in connection, conjunction with the Sermon on the Mount, where James also wrestles with what it is to live out the Christian life in the teachings of Jesus. And he says here, this is how not to, by the way. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. And when you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. And in Romans 14, verse 10, which is this passage about the weak and the strong and the battle between people who felt okay about eating food offered to idols and those who were much more sensitive to that and felt it wasn't the right thing to do. So speaking to those who were a little bit more, I, I'm happy because nothing is unclean. God's chosen everything. I can really, that's not a problem for me, but it is for others. He says, Paul says to those, that group of people, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. We can make moral judgments about someone else's behavior, their character. And what both these passages are saying, and I think what is also at the heart of what Jesus is saying in, in Matthew chapter 7, is that very often when we find ourselves seeing something in someone else, um, you can sort of almost feel slightly more, they shouldn't be like that. You, do you know they shouldn't be doing that? Something that you don't like, perhaps. And therefore, it's very easy then to almost say, well, do you know what, Jesus? It's just as well you've got me to, to point that out to that person. You know, boy, I bet, you're, I bet you're pleased I'm here. You and me, we can sort this person out, but I'm going to be the one who does it. And we have an attitude which is proud and arrogant, or we can. If we ever feel like that, we just need the flashing danger signs. Uh, and I guess most of us would not think that we set out to judge others, but there are telltale signs, perhaps. Or am I just talking about myself? If someone has a cold, um, there are signs of that cold, aren't they? So what would a sign of a cold be? Come on, give me some answers. Runny nose, cough, sneezing, uh, temperature, all of those things, which is a very serious condition if you're a man, by the way, just to let you know that, okay. 
I mean, don't, don't, I mean, uh, this is, you know, don't laugh. It's, you know, I'm, this is very serious. And what do we call those things? Symptoms. Don't we? we call them symptoms. When we see someone who is starting to display those sorts of uh, uh, those sorts of things, we, call, we, we recognize them as symptoms, and we are concerned that something else might be up. They're symptoms of something else. And if we take some of these words here, I think we could use these as symptoms for not judging correctly. Critical, negative, putting someone down, gossiping, slandering, speaking against them, uh, treating with contempt, are all symptoms of judging in the wrong kind of way. So we try to deal with flu-like illness by how? How do we do that? Sleep, rest, paracetamol, water, not putting your body under stress, getting people to pray for you. So we tackle the symptoms, but what we're really, we're trying to alleviate the symptoms to tackle the underlying cause. And the cause is an infection. And when it comes to interacting with others or judging with others, what do we need to do to help us not demonstrate the symptoms of judging in the wrong kind of way? While we do this, I think this is what Jesus says. we pay lots more attention to our own hearts than the hearts of others. So, you know, I probably should have left this to you, Andrew. I'm just sitting there with his feet up on a cup of coffee, you know. When he knew I had a, a clicker, he thought, oh, happy days, and job's done. So he says this, as we've already read it, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? First take out the plank, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly. I mean, it is a brilliant image, isn't it? Uh, and this guy here, dude, you've got a speck in your eye. It is ridiculous, isn't it? It's bonkers. It's brilliantly bonkers, the whole thing. Absolutely a brilliant picture. Tiny little splinter, which would not be physically obvious to anybody except if you were having an eye test. Uh, recently, in the last few weeks, uh, BT decided to replace the telegraph pole in our back lane. Don't quite know why, because we've all got wires attached to the telegraph pole into our building, most of which have been cut off somewhere because, you know, we don't want wires that we don't use anymore. But anyway, they, and it looked a reasonably good telegraph pole, actually, but obviously, you know, decided that it had to be replaced. And you just look at the telegraph pole. It took four men and this big digger, uh, kind of, I don't know what you call it, grippy thing, thing that grips things, uh, big things, a, a hydraulic thing that grips big, big things and gets a hold of it and pulls out, and, and the sound it made when they just nearly lost control of it as it hit the ground was incredible. Telegraph port, it's kind of, how about that in your eye? You know, 
I was thinking, that's a pretty good example of what a plank might have looked like, and this, uh, this picture kind of, kind of illustrates that um, a little bit. I suspect um, your vision would be impaired um, somewhat. And seriously, would you ever book an eye test with a blind optician? I mean, what would the point of that be? Um, although this actually has a very, very, very now meaning for us, because Maria woke up this morning with an infection in her eye, and she's now in hospital trying to see someone. Um, so I said, you didn't quite have to go to that length, you know, to... Uh, uh, but I said you could come as an example if you want. Bless her, she's got a conjunctive eye, a big red eye. So, so I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. But she said she might listen to this. So I'll, just, I'll just give her the notes instead, and she can perhaps read those. Basically, starting from the right place means that we need to be ruthless in performing open heart surgery on ourselves. We're really unqualified to look at someone else's problems if our vision is totally impaired. And if you think at any point, as we'll come on to in, in a minute or two, that you need to help someone with something, you better do some complex surgery on yourself before even pointing it out to someone else. Jesus is saying we need to tackle our own judgmental symptoms first before we think about tackling the perceived issues with your brother or sister. We need to assume that our issues are more significant than the speck in someone else's eye. Otherwise, we're what we're demonstrating is arrogance of others and ignorance of ourselves. Jesus is saying we need to be working harder on ourselves than deciding that you are the answer to sorting out the wrong in everybody else. So from a funny illustration, you can just feel what Jesus is trying to say to his disciples then. You know, this is the behavior of all who say they follow Jesus, that we are in desperate need of God's grace, understanding that we all have a plank in our eye and we're in need of help from him. There's a great illustration in the Bible Project, on the Bible Project website in relation to this. I mean, great as in frightening illustration that the guy uses. And he uses it actually in relation to breaking bread. And it was this, he said, you imagine, come to church, and it's, it's a time when you break bread. Table's laid out, and you come forward to the table to receive bread and wine. And as you approach the table, there's a screen behind. And as you reach out to take bread and wine, all of your faults and all of your sins and all the things you're struggling with come up on the screen behind the table for everybody to see. And I, I stopped and I thought, oh, dear me. And that was not for everybody to see, but it's to illustrate that we all are imperfect, struggling with things, trying to make sense of things. So this is the person whose shortcomings 
and hidden secrets are on the screen for all to see is going to try and help someone else sort out their shortcomings. That's why we need the grace of God. That's why we have to be free in being forgiven and knowing that that's the position from which not only do we do this, but we really do all things. Jesus is the only one qualified to pick us apart for our faults and to humiliate and crush us for our arrogance and wrongdoing. But he chooses not to do that. He covers us in grace and he extends his loving kindness to us as a father who is completely besotted with his offspring. You know, God is so in love with you. What a thought that is. So we need to be, secondly, paying attention to our hearts. And then, thirdly, we should judge only in the way that actually we would want to be judged, which is quite a good little, uh, good way to remember it, really. Doing the right things, growing in wisdom and maturity, knowing how to live in community, all requires good or sound judgment. Demonstrating grace and mercy to others, speaking well of each other, believing the best, promoting them, thinking of them better than I do of myself, choosing to overlook things that irritate me. But does that mean we can't or shouldn't challenge each other or confront uh, a bad behavior which is clearly wrong in others? The Bible's full of examples uh, and references to things like, you know, there's one in, in the Old Testament, iron, as iron sharpens iron, as, as you know, brothers, you know, there's a, a kind of coming up against each other that produces change, hopefully for the better uh, in us. And there's a few scriptures, I mean, there are loads, and I've just picked out three here. Uh, That's, you need to say click, obviously, as well. That, that, that's what I've been doing wrong all of the time. <clears throat> you actually need to say click. Okay, so there are a few here. Um, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Who said that? Jesus said that. I thought he said don't judge. Now he's saying judge correctly, which is why we need to be careful at taking... <clears throat> a sentence or a verse at face value and assuming there's nothing else in Scripture that gives uh, shed, sheds light on that particular thing. I think it was uh, Tony, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was Calvin who said you need to use Scripture as a magnifying glass for all Scripture, something like that. You need to use, think about what else. If you think you know what it says, look for something that might challenge what you think <laughs> it says. Do, do, do the research. So Jesus says, actually, there will be times when you judge, but do it correctly. Jesus says, so watch yourselves. <clears throat> if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repeat it, forgive them. And that's in the context of forgiving and 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 forgiving. No matter what they do, forgiving, forgiving, forgiving. Matthew 18, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you have won them over. Being a disciple of Jesus means that we are in community 
And we know that one of the ways in which God helps us to grow is through the input of other people. And Jesus would have known that, sat on that mountainside on that moment in time when he was addressing his disciples. They were his community at that point. There are four fathers and mothers in the faith. We are his community, sat here right now. Fourthly, and quickly, uh-oh, be prepared for other, others should be so, to challenge you from time to time. So, this process, this interaction, doesn't only happen just one way. It speaks for itself, be willing to learn. It's all about our attitude. Um, in some of the management training I did years and years and years ago, when there was lots of kind of feedbacky things, it said, there was this phrase, um, it might still be around that, feedback is a gift. You know, if someone tells you something, feedback's a gift. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's a gift, yeah. Didn't want, it. Didn't want this gift, want another gift. And the challenge for us, and this is a, you know, for all of us, and it's a challenge for me as well, if, it's even worse if I am challenged by someone who I, I actually don't respect, perhaps, for whatever reason, or I think they're way wrong, more wrong than I am on nearly everything. Do you know what? God can choose anyone, anything, to disciple us. The issue is, how do we accept it? How do we receive it? Not, you've got a valid point, but have you checked out your life lately? Shut up. In fact, while we're on, I've got a few things to say to you as well. God said, beep, failed. We need to be in a position where we're happy to receive because our whole position of being a disciple of Jesus, growing in his likeness, is to want to become more and more like him no matter where the stimulus comes from outside of that. Being open to everything he has to say. Being courteous, even when someone might be being downright rude. It's just like that. It's just the way it is. Oh, is that a song? That was a song, wasn't it? Somewhere around it. It's like that. It's just the way it is. I can't remember who it was. Um, so, lastly, oh, it speaks for itself. Well, I've already done that. And finally, we need to remember that we all come under the judgment of our Heavenly Father. There's a sobering thought, isn't it? But again, when we start looking at Scripture, that is true. We've mentioned this verse earlier on. You then, why do you judge your brother or your sister, or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. But in John 5, 24, it says, As verily I tell you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. And in that statement, we have all of the glorious grace of God.
wrapped up for each one of us. You know, no wonder the gospel is good news, isn't it? When Chris was speaking last week, um, he was pointing, he was drawing attention to the, the <clears throat> human glory of Solomon and what he created and the amazing majesty of uh, human endeavor culminating in something which was magnificent. But it was nothing compared to the lily of the field. And Chris said this, it's like Jesus was saying, I see things differently. And Jesus sees things differently with us, and that is, in a way, almost a definition of the kingdom of God, topsy-turvy, upside-down, different. He says to us this morning, I see you differently. I see my kingdom differently. I see you and I want you to grow. I want you to grow and mature differently in community with others. So we've looked at how not to exercise judgment, the negative element. We need to pay attention to our own heart. We should only do it in the way that we should be prepared, to, that we'd like to receive it if people are speaking to us. We should be prepared to be challenged. And we need to remember that judgment is a thing. But as we live under the grace of God, we have passed from judgment into life. And that's what we're going to celebrate now as we break bread. Let's pray together a second.